All right, welcome to the teaching and training session. We discussed last week, why is church important? And we're going to continue our study of the church. If we take our Bibles and we'll go to Acts chapter 2, there's a little bit of a, a cross cross study going on right now with our series on Sunday morning about Acts chapter 2 and also this session we've been studying the church and so we're kind of getting a double dose here in Acts chapter 2. It's so important for us to know our history as a as a people, as a church. This is our history. This is church history. We need to identify with these with these Christians. When we're reading this, we're reading about ourselves, right? And uh, we have many different ethnicities and backgrounds represented here in the room, and that's important to us. We think, well, this is my country, this is things that are important to me as a culture. Um, maybe you have some, things, but some specific traditions in your family, which is awesome, right? We've got the holidays coming up, and everybody does some things a little bit different. Um, I remember growing up, we would always have a, a live Christmas tree. We would never do the fake tree. Um, as a child, I grew up in Maine, right? Of course, we live in Christmas tree country, as we do here in Canada. And uh, so we always had a living Christmas tree, like a live one. And uh, we, ne we would never get one before Thanksgiving. That was like against the rules somehow for our family. We'd wait till like December 10th or something. Um, and so, you know, like the last couple of days, you drive down the highway and you see people with the, with the tree strapped on the top of their car. And, um, you know, it's like you're buying the Christmas tree before American Thanksgiving. And it's like, oh, hey, you're, you know, that's wrong. That's not the way you do that. Well, that's just my tradition. There's no rule written about that, right? So the point is, is that we all have our traditions. We all have our um, history and our roots and our story. And... Uh, and these are good things, but we need to understand as Christians, this is our story. These are our people. This is where we've come from. When we are reading the Bible, we are reading the history of us. We're reading the history of the church. We're reading the history of Christians. Now, again, we need to understand when we read the book of Acts, that this is a transitional book. Okay, so some of the things, the important things, some things that are going to last all the way through until the time that Jesus comes back once again. We're going to take those out of the box and we're going to keep those. Some of the things, that's the cardboard box. This is the packaging material. Okay? Every time there was a, a transition in time in the Bible, right? There was always a supernatural act going on. There were always things that were telling everybody, hey, God is changing some things. Okay, the biggest example would be Moses and the Ten Commandments and all of the miraculous plagues. And then he's feeding them in the wilderness. And then he goes up to the mountain and he receives the Ten Commandments. There's a lot of supernatural signs going on. Okay, that's very important for us to realize that that is biblical. It's true. God would send these supernatural signs for a reason so that we know that it is God that is doing this. We serve a supernatural God. 
we see a lot of supernatural things taking place in the book of Acts. Okay, we have to remember God does that for a sign, for a purpose, for a reason. They're going from temple worship. Remember, the temple was still standing. They're going from temple worship. Okay, and they're going from temple worship to now they're going to church worship. Okay, those are two different things. No longer are they going to be bringing in the animal sacrifices. Uh, they're, the, the purpose of, the, of the, 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 the priests is going to be completely different now, so on and so forth, because all of that's fulfilled in Christ. And so we have to understand that, yes, this is an accurate history of the first church. Supernatural things did absolutely take place. But that is the cardboard box, okay? That is not something that we're going to try to replicate anymore then we should try to replicate the 10 plagues on our enemies when we're at work and that person's giving us a hard time. God, give them, I don't know, what would be the best plague? Flies? Like, send them flies in their desk, right? I don't know, right? Um, that was just for a reason. That was just for a particular season. That was just for a particular purpose. We see a lot of dreams and visions and angels and all, why is all of that happening? Now, again, some branches of Christianity they say all of this is for today. We should try to replicate all of this. Again, if that's true, why is that not taught and commanded to the churches as we read through the rest of the church history when we read Corinthians and Ephesians and Philippians and so on and so forth? Okay, so we have to understand that this is a transitional book. Some of these things are going to naturally transition away. We still serve a supernatural God. He is supernatural. He can do amazing things. He can do miracles. Amen. Amen. Every time you, he answers a prayer, that's supernatural. Every time he answers a prayer and he speaks to our heart and he gives us guidance, this is evidence that we serve a supernatural God. All right. And as, as a missionary who used to serve in a, a foreign country where I did not understand the language, I will confess to you that I, I prayed, Lord, if there is still a gift of tongues, please give me the gift of tongues. Now, every missionary has had to have prayed that <clears throat> secretly sometime because learning a new language is hard, right? Can I get an amen on that? Yeah. Learning a new language is, is difficult. And you're thinking, God, I'll use it for the gospel's sake, I promise. Right? And it doesn't work out. There is grace for learning a new language, but there is unfortunately no longer the gift of tongues. And so what we're going to take out from the book of Acts as we study the church is not necessarily some of these supernatural signs, right? Every time you take a new, uh, I just drove from Illinois yesterday. <laughs> so long, my goodness. There are so many signs along the road. The most important one would be, where are you going? What's your direction? Well, I happen to be going east, right? So I'm going east, 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 east. <coughs> And you want to stay on that east, and then there's the number of the highway. You want to stay on that, the correct number. 
of the highway. Another very important number would be, of course, the speed limit, right? Keeping people safe. Uh, by the way, if you've ever driven in Michigan to Michiganers, I don't know if that's the right term, that, that speed limit number means nothing to them. It means nothing. Speed limit is 70, they all go about 85, right? Which is probably like 130, 140K. Why? Right? <clears throat> anyway, so there are signs. So supernatural signs. When we see a dispensation change, God oftentimes gives supernatural signs. Why? He's letting people know, hey, things are changing. Things are changing. Things are changing. Things are changing. All right? Now it's the church age. Now it is the age of the church, the age of grace. And so... Um, we can learn a lot when we read uh, the book of Acts. Again, it is, it, this is our history, Acts 2 and 37. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We'll talk about that in the next session. This is something we would keep. Why? Well, because God, that message is continued on throughout all of the rest of the gospels. This is, this is the gospel, right? We would, we would keep this. This is not something that is supernatural. That's only meant for this particular transitional period. The message, that is something that we keep. And then it says, verse 39, for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Of course, we would keep that as well. Okay, we believe in a salvation that must be individually accepted. Okay, we talk about individual soul liberty. Just because I am saved does not necessarily mean that somehow, now I've heard this is covenant theology, all right, this is incorrect. Some people think, well, I'm a Christian and my children live in my house and so they're covered with my salvation. Nope. Nope, nope. Okay, so this promise is unto you and to your children, right? Meaning your children have to receive this as well. Verse 40, and with many other words that he testify and exhort saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. That's something we can certainly take away. You have to listen to this message individually and receive it. And yes, if you receive this message, you are saving yourself from everyone else. Meaning you're stepping away from what everybody else in the culture is doing. You are taking a step away from that. Verse 41, then they that gladly received his word were baptized. We still do that. The same day they were added into about 3,000 souls, adding people to the church through salvation and baptism. Do we still believe that? Absolutely. Okay, we believe in a, a regenerate membership. You are saved. If you're gonna be a member of the church, you have to have a solid testimony of salvation. Pastor, I want to join. Okay, fantastic. The questions are going to go like this. Tell me about when you accepted Christ. Oh, I've always believed in Jesus. That's an incorrect answer, my friend. Because you've not always believed in Jesus for salvation. In order to be saved, you have to be lost first. You have to be convinced you're lost without Jesus. Then you accept Jesus, and now you're saved. Right? Oh, I, I remember accepting Christ as my Savior. And you give the story and you say, yes, I've trusted Christ. And then, well, let's talk about your baptism. 
Oh, I haven't been baptized yet. Okay, well, great. We'll try to plan for that. Oh, no, I'm not really sure I want to do that. Why? Why not? Do I really have to do that to be a member of the church? Yes. Where do you get that from? From God's word. Right? They gladly received his word. They got saved. They gladly got baptized. I like the gladly part. It doesn't say gladly baptized. Gladly received his word. Right? That church ought to be a glad place. Amen. Um, they uh, received his word for salvation. They baptized. And then they added them unto the church. Right? Church membership is 100% in the Bible. They received them in to the fellowship. They wanted to include them in, okay? What was necessary for them to be included in the membership? They had to be saved and they had to be baptized. That was it, okay? That was it. And then we see in Acts 2, we're in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs. Notice verse 43. Who were the signs and wonders done by? By the apostles. The signs and wonders were done by the apostles. Okay, we call these apostolic gifts. Much of the cardboard packaging that we're talking about, the transitional gifts when God's saying... Here's a new sign, right? Now, have you, has anybody ever driven through Dallas, Fort Worth area? Don't. If you've never done it, don't do it. I remember when we first started traveling, my wife and I, many years ago, that sounds like an old guy statement. Many years ago when we were traveling. Um, anyway, it was actually many years ago. Um, we're, we're driving through, you know, these cute little roads in Arkansas, nice and straight, you know, a couple little curves, one little, you know, a couple little exits, and you get to Dallas, and it's like, right? It, it, it looks like someone has taken freshly made pasta and just dropped it on the floor, and all these little curves, and that's what the roads look like. They go everywhere. Look, they have, they have a bridge, and then they have another bridge going underneath it, and then they have another bridge going on top of it. I'm not kidding. If you take a moment and Google, don't do it now. If you Google <laughs> crazy bridges in Dallas-Fort Worth area, you're gonna be like, and here's the problem. When they say everything's bigger in Texas, it's true. So if you have to turn around, that's miles, miles and miles. And you're up like 50 feet in the air in this bridge thinking, I went the wrong way. It's very important in that town to pay attention to the signs, to know the signs and pay attention to the signs. Okay, And we can see here that the signs, the supernatural signs were done by the apostles, verse 44. And all that believed were, to, were together. All that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. Oh no, pastor, are you telling me I have to sell everything I have and give it to the church so that we can all live in a, in a community, in a commune? No, <laughs> thankfully. Well, how do we know we're not supposed to do that? Because of the letters that came later, that wasn't commanded. This was something that was done right at that moment to take care of a particular need that they had. 
Remember, many of these new converts were from many other countries, from the surrounding countries to Israel. They lived elsewhere. And they came in for the Passover. They came in for Pentecost. They heard the gospel. They got saved. And the, the, the first church, the 120 that lived there, right, they're saying, oh, it's so important for these to hear the apostles' doctrine. Remember, they're turning away from temple worship, right? They're receiving Jesus Christ. This is a big deal. They need to learn. They need to know. Listen, those of us who are more mature in the faith, we've been around a little bit longer, just like a parent sacrifices for the child, my kids don't pay for anything. You think, well, they're kids. Exactly. Right? Those who are more mature in the faith should be willing to sacrifice so that the younger in the faith, those newer to the church, can benefit from the doctrine, from the fellowship. Where do we get that from? From the Bible. Where does the tithe go when we tithe, when we give to the church? Where does that money go? It goes for everything you see. Uh, praise the Lord, we've been praying for a new projector. I was able to find one on a Black, fi Black Friday sale. Yeah, it's nice. A little bit brighter, a little bit crisper, right? The other one was seven years old. It was still okay, but, you know, where'd that money come from? From you. The church has given me authority to, to spend money within a, certain amount of, within a certain amount. And when the church needs something, we go buy it. We have receipts, right? There's a right way to do this. Where do we get that from? From the Bible. Remember, this is the history of us. When we're reading Acts chapter 2, this is our history, right? Just like if you say, well, I'm from originally from this or that country, you know the history of your country, right? And you identify with that and you say, that's a part of my story because that's whether it's good or bad or wars or peace or good leaders, bad leaders, doesn't matter. That's a part of who you are. This is a part, this is as a Christian, this is our history. This is what our people did, okay? They loved and took care of one another. And so we can see here in verse 46, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. Why do we have to go to pastor's house all the time? Well, because it's in the Bible. Oh, it can't be that simple. Honestly, it is. Hospitality is one of the requirements to be a pastor, given to hospitality. 1 Timothy chapter 3. We are most hospitable when we're in our homes. Right? Breaking bread from house to house, they'd eat their meat with gladness. Oh, I like that word. There's that word again. Word of the day, maybe, I think. Gladness. It was a glad church. And singleness of heart. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily. Such as should be saved. Jesus promised in Matthew 16. That he would build his church. Let's take a look at that real quick.
Matthew 16, verse 13, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, whom do men say that I the son of man am? And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said unto him, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my father, which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. He says, I am this rock of the Christ, the son of the living God. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I am that rock. Okay. And I will build my church. He's saying, I will build the church upon myself is what he said. He is the head of the church. Amen. Pastor is not the head of the church. Praise God. Jesus is the head of the church. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Okay. So we can see here in Acts chapter number two and verse number 47, it says, and the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. Who added to the church? The Lord did. They created an atmosphere through obedience where the Lord was able to do the work in people's hearts he wanted to do. They were willing and he was willing. This is our goal at Sparrow Baptist Church is to be obedient with the right spirit so that Jesus can do the work in our hearts that he wants to do. In the service, that's the goal. You know, the goal of the service is for Jesus to show up. We all invite people, we pray for people, we expect to see certain people. Maybe perhaps we're looking forward to seeing our friend at church. But the person that we should look forward to seeing the most when we come to church is the Lord. We should expect to meet with him. Yeah. The Lord was working in that first church. How do we know that? The Lord's working in a church when people are generous and trying to help the younger believers. The Lord is working in a church when they're worshipful. The Lord is working in a church when they're evangelistic. The Lord is working in a church, listen, when they are gladly obedient. The Lord is working in a church when they are receptive to the truth, when they want the truth. Not, it's not that they want to go and be entertained. They want to see a religious performance. No, they want to come and they want to learn. They want to obey. They're willing to love. They're willing to sacrifice. The Lord is working in that kind of church. But friends, it takes intention. It doesn't happen by accident. We all have to individually say, God, I want you to work in my life throughout the week. If we all had that attitude and we come to church, we're going to treat one another with kindness and love and grace. And you hear about a need, we're going to be sacrificial to help one another with a need. We're not doing it for glory. We're not looking to get any kind of attention from it. We're doing it for the Lord because that other brother or sister needs help. Sometimes it's a financial need, but oftentimes, guys, it's more of a, it's more of a social need or a, a, a listening ear, an encouraging shoulder. Mm -hmm. 
I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you time, how many of you this week don't respond? I, but I just want you to think about this for a moment. I wonder how many sitting in this room felt lonely this week. My wife and kids aren't here. I felt lonely, okay? For the 12 hours I've been away from them. It's not good for man to be alone, right? I was like, well, where should, we, where should we get that need met? Well, listen, friends, primarily through your church. We should learn to make friends with our, and now with the digital age, it's like, hey, text one another, call one another, communicate with one another, Okay? Build one another up in the faith. There's so much that happens out there that's seeking to tear us down, casting doubt, right? Like the new bike lanes on Bloor. I'm just teasing. That's my pet peeve right now. <laughs> ah, a little frustrating. Okay. So if we're going to take four takeaways from the first church in Jerusalem, okay, these are the four things. Now this is kind of, Boiled down to four, we, if we want to do it longhand, which is my propensity, like if I was going to do something, it's like, no, I want to have all 12 points. And there's a time for that. Amen, Brother Braden? Amen. 12 point. 12 point outlines are more fun than three or four point outlines. Um, however, these are a little bit easier to remember. <laughs> um, and so uh, this is the kind of church we're striving to be. Okay? Which means... This is the kind of individuals that we should all strive to be. And if for some reason God moves you away, hopefully never, but hope if one, day, one day if God moves you away to another area, what kind of church should you go to? If, you, if, you're, if, you're, if you're looking for a new church or God moves you away, by the way, don't move somewhere where there isn't a good church. I, amen. Don't move somewhere. That's a good career opportunity. Do not sacrifice your spiritual health for a financial or career opportunity. It's not worth it. There's too many stories in the Bible of people that tried to do that. The first one that comes to mind is Lot. Took his family away to a really good financial opportunity and he lost them all. Wife got turned to a pillar of salt. Like literally. <clears throat> Right? You think, well, Pastor, you don't know my wife. She, I wouldn't be surprised if she turned. <laughs> okay? So, first of all, it was a learning church. It was a learning church. Verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word. It, look, it doesn't say that they just heard him. It says they received it. They received his word. Now, this is their salvation story. Okay? But also, this is their growth story, as we'll see in just a moment. In a good church, the priority is on the word of God. And learning it, and I remember talking to a Catholic friend at the gym probably five or six years ago um, in Markham, when we used to live up there. We've lived in a lot of places in the GTA. And uh, he, was, he was from a Catholic background, and he's like, oh, how long are your services? He's thinking, you know, like midweek Catholic mass is like 23 minutes or something. And I'm like, they're an hour and a half. An hour and a half? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Couldn't believe it. 
They're like, how long do you speak? Oh, about 40 minutes. 40 minutes? Are you kidding me? How long is the content you consume throughout the week of things that are important to you? Right? And I didn't say that to him. Obviously, he's not saved, and that's not the primary point that we need to try to talk to him about. Right? But in a good church, in a good church, in a Bible-based church, in a biblical church, it's a learning church. Okay? We're not learning about the arts. We're not learning about... Uh, you know, video construction. We're not learning about uh, primarily about finances. Oh, that's all. That's all. You want to get your finances in control. You go to that church because they do finances well. Well, yeah, biblical finance is a part of learning in Christianity, right? And by the way, it's supposed to be a balanced diet, just like when we're eating. Uh, I was having a, a this having a team having a conversation with. A, I had a conversation with a friend of mine. She's eighteen. She's in college. My, my friend's daughter in Illinois this last week. Hopefully she listens to this recording. So what do I do? She's in college. So what do I do, you know, to try to get away a little bit from the flab? She didn't say that, but she said that. I'm like, what are you eating? Oh, it's kind of funny when she starts listing out her diet. You know, the first thing on her diet, zebra cakes. You say, what's that? It's a cake. It's a little Debbie cake. The ones that come in the boxes, are they delicious? Oh, yeah. What's the second thing she named? Honey buns. <laughs> I'm like, child. You've got to get away from the zebra cakes and honey buns if you want to do anything with this. Yeah? Well, I don't really like all of that healthy stuff. I'm like, what do you eat that's green? Cucumber? Ugh. Tomato? <sighs> right? What are you eating? In some churches, it's almost like the whole purpose is to make you feel really happy and they don't really touch in, on anything that's super, super serious. Uh, I've got a friend that calls it the Milk and Honey Church. Right? I call it a cotton candy church. You can hear the gospel, probably get saved there, possibly, for sure. But what's the primary purpose and goal of going there? Like if you were to talk to the leadership, hey, I'm curious, what's your primary goal? I want to make people feel better. Jesus died on the cross to do more for us than just to make us feel better. It's more than that. Well, how do, how do we come to that depth? Well, a balanced diet. The good things and the negative things in the Bible. We need to look for a church that preaches the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel of God. Where do we get that from? We get that from the Bible. If you take your Bible and go to Acts chapter 20. The Apostle Paul is speaking to a group of leaders, a group of pastors of the churches in Ephesus.
Verse 18, And when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. Notice in verse 20, And how I kept how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. Nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you. Teaching, showing through his example, but showing. Teaching, you're trying to make sure people understand it. Right? I'm more of a hands-on learner. Right? I don't know if, if you're that way, but it's like, okay, let me do it. If you're teaching me something, put it in my hands and let me do it and stand over my shoulder and say, no, no, don't do that. No, And then after I do it with my own hands a couple of times, oh. right? He's showing them. Listen, in a good church, you're going to be showed how to obey God's word. You can't get that just on the internet. I'm going to send in a video of me with my life throughout the whole week so that you can coach me and tell me what I'm doing right or wrong. Yeah, that's not the way it works. It may work with some things, but it doesn't work that way with Christianity. When we come in, we're being showed, hey, this is how you act like a Christian. This is, this is how you apply the truth. Paul says, I showed you. Notice it says, and I've taught you publicly and from house to house. I taught you publicly and from house to house. Listen, in a big service like this, publicly, and then also discipleship alone in a house, in a house to house. That's what it's saying. The context here is discipleship. Okay, now notice over in verse 27. He says, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. He says, I haven't kept back anything that was profitable for you. What's profitable for us? All of the counsel of God. All of the counsel of God. Listen, a good church teaches and preaches all the counsel. All of it. All of it. That's the kind of church. So guess what? When we show up, sometimes the sermon's going to be on giving. When we show up, sometimes it's going to be on God's wrath on sin. Sometimes when we show up, it's going to be on what the world may consider to be negative things about Christianity. But we have to keep in context. It's not just a, bl- a plate full of, I don't mind broccoli. The, what, what are the big, well, Brussels sprouts are those kind of the eggy looking, like the big kind of leafy eggy looking thing. The, the roasted ones, like with some other food, it's okay. Eating a whole plate of Brussels sprouts, that would take some character, right? Some intention. Uh, we shouldn't go to a church that only talks about the negative stuff. Remember, the gospel means good news. <laughs> good news. <laughs> the good thing about what we as human beings might consider to be some negative things about scripture is Jesus left us with good news. Amen. Amen. Okay. It was a learning church. They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching. It said they gladly received his word, Acts 2 41 and verse 42. And they continued 
steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Uh, there, are some, there are some catchphrases that you hear nowadays in some churches that don't identify as a denomination, meaning it's not a Lutheran church or a Baptist church or a this or a that. They're a non-denominational church. Okay? And they, and they, and they say things like, uh, we don't teach doctrine here. Why? Why? They did. That was the first thing they learned. If you don't learn doctrine, again, this is like trying to say everything is food. I'm only going to eat the things spiritually that taste good. There's, there's a place for that. But you also need to learn what the Bible teaches about everything. Otherwise, we are crafting a God in our mind that is not the true God of the Bible. A college student told me one time when he uh, sent some evangelism materials to a friend of his that he thinks that God doesn't exist, exist and if he does, that he only speaks in mathematics or something like that. And I was like, well, I'm guessing that guy loves mathematics. Because I certainly wouldn't say a statement like that because mathematics are not my thing. Right? If we're not careful, we will craft, listen, we will craft a God that's really just a mirror image of us. Come on now. We need to learn what the Bible says about God. And listen, and we need to understand that sometimes when we hear about the God of the Bible, it's going to make us a little uncomfortable. God cannot be controlled. We cannot craft him into the God that we want him to be. I am that I am. He is who he is. And we must learn to worship the God that he is, that he revealed himself to be, not a God that we have crafted in our minds of just a nice guy, an all-powerful, nice, nice guy. Well, I don't really think that God would do that. I can't even count how many times I've been told those exact words. I don't think Jesus would say that. I just read you the verse. I'm not kidding. My friend, I just read you a dozen verses of what Jesus said in his word. Well, I just don't agree. I don't think Jesus would say that. Which Jesus? That's right. Which one? The one that you've crafted in your mind? Or the one that's here? Because if we're going to worship him, we have to worship the one that's been revealed. Listen, otherwise we're worshiping an idol called sure. Jesus. You know, all throughout the Old Testament, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, all of those, Ezekiel, they were in big trouble with God. The nation of Israel was. Big trouble with God. Israel and Judea, I know they're split. I'm just calling it the nation of Israel, so don't come down on me like a ton of bricks, right? Why? Because they were worshiping gods that had been crafted by their hands. 
And in some cases, they were falling down and worshiping it and calling it Jehovah God. And God says, don't you see what you're doing? You're going out into the forest. You're chopping down a tree. You're taking some of that wood to warm yourself and make your food. And the Bible uses this word, with the residue. With the leftovers. You take it to the craftsman. And the craftsman then expertly chisels that leftover piece into an idol that you then set up and fall down and worship. But that God doesn't do anything. He doesn't answer prayer. There is no power. Listen, there is no grace. Doesn't change your, your life whatsoever. We, listen, we have to understand that when we're in a learning church, a church that learns the whole counsel of God, there are going to be some scripture passages perhaps even some sermons where we're like, hmm, that's uncomfortable. That's actually a good mark that we're in a Bible preaching church. The goal is not to always make us feel guilty. Because remember, grace, good news, but we're going to have a balanced diet. What's the balanced diet? The whole counsel of the word of God. All of it. Otherwise, we're kind of crafting a God of our own making, of our own liking. We pick out the ones that we like, and we say, this is the God I like. They devoted themselves to learning the apostles' doctrine. These people were devoted to learning. To learning. They were hungry to discover more. This was not a casual attitude as one might have in joining a social club. There seems to be a spiritual excitement in what they did. They applied themselves to what was being taught from the word. As a new believer, you need to find a church that teaches a clear Bible doctrine. This simply means that you need to be instructed in the basics of the Christian faith. This is what God is. This is, this is what he's like. This is what he says he's like. This is what Jesus says he's like. You know, what's interesting is oftentimes what you hear about when people say, oh, I think Jesus is this or this or that. It's like, have you read the Gospels? Because oftentimes, again, they just think Jesus is a really, really nice guy that loved everyone and helped everyone out. And it's like, that's not necessarily true. We need to make sure we read what the Bible actually says. We cannot force him into being what we want him to be. He is who he is. If we let him reveal himself, that means we can actually have a relationship with him. We can actually have a relationship with him. Ever been in a relationship with somebody, another human being, and all they wanted to do was change you? That's annoying. It doesn't, it doesn't generally work out very well. Let me be who I am. Right? Oftentimes Jesus says the same thing. As a new believer, you need to find a church that teaches clear Bible doctrine. This simply means you need to be instructed in the basics of the Christian faith. It could be compared to building a house. When you build a house, 
You don't start with the wallpapering or the landscaping. You start with a good foundation. Otherwise, everything else is rather meaningless. In the same way, when you are building your spiritual life, you need a good foundation. And that will happen in a church that teaches you the word of God line by line, book by book, so you can understand all that God says in his word. Some well-meaning person might say something like, oh, I'm not into doctrine. I just want to love Jesus. The problem with that kind of thinking is if you don't have a good foundation in Bible doctrine and theology, you might end up loving, quote, the wrong Jesus. First John 4, 1, 2, and 3, and we'll stop with this. We'll have a few more that we'll stop on this topic, and then we'll, we'll break for the next service. Let's look at 1 John 4. <clears throat> 1 John 4. First John 4 and verse 1, 2, and 3. These are such important verses for, for these days that we live. Such incredibly important. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try. Some people say, oh, I'm not really into doctrine. I just like to be spiritual. Because to them, doctrine means rules. Right? And spiritual means, oh, it just makes me feel good. I'm being spiritual. It makes, I do spiritual practices that make me feel better. <laughs> Okay, well, let's look and see what the Bible says. The Bible warns us about that. Okay, beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. You realize that there can be some kind of feeling inside that says, this is the spirit of Jesus and it's not, it's lying to you. God's okay with this. Jesus is okay with this and it's lying to you. How do we know? what we should trust because of what this says right here. If I read this one day, it's going to say the same thing if I read it the next day. This is what we test. Spiritual practices and spiritual feelings. Try the spirits, test them. That's what that means. Whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Oh, I found this teacher on the internet. He or she is amazing. I have learned so much that I never learned in church. My question is why? Or what kind of church have you been going to? There are many false prophets. By the way, this was written 2,000 years ago. Can I say there are many more false prophets now than there even were back then? Many false prophets, meaning there are many interpretations of Jesus and goodness and spirituality that are out there that are really appealing. And many people say, this is so helpful. So helpful. Verse two, hereby know ye the spirit of God, capital S, the Holy Spirit of God, the spirit of God of God, the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Guys, this is, this is the acid test right here. Should I trust that spiritual teacher? What do they say about Jesus coming in the flesh? Did he actually come in the flesh? Did he die on the cross in the flesh? 
Did he rise from the dead in his flesh, in his body? Yes, he absolutely did. It was not the ghost of Jesus or a feeling of Jesus or someone who wasn't Jesus that Jesus later claimed to be him. Or after he rose from the dead, then the spirit of Jesus entered into that body. And from now on, we call him Jesus Christ. That's not true. None of that's true. He came in the flesh. He died in the flesh. He rose from the dead in the flesh. And that spiritual teacher, we might be able to listen to what they say. The rest of it, not trustworthy. It's not trustworthy. Verse 3, and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. Notice he says it one way and then he says it the other way. He doesn't want us to be confused about this whatsoever. And this is that spirit of antichrist. Oh. So that means if I'm listening to a teacher or I'm listening to a spiritual practitioner or I'm listening to a guru or I'm listening to a YouTube phenom or there's probably teachers on TikTok now too. I don't know. Probably. I'm sure there is. If I'm listening to the newest guy or the newest girl and the newest thing, and maybe they're reaching back into ancient practices that they found under a stone on a holy mountain somewhere. Oh, don't make fun. No, 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 no. Don't mess with Jesus. Oh, you, should, you shouldn't talk that way about other people's beliefs. They shouldn't talk that way about Jesus. They are of the spirit of anti-Christ. Anti-Christ. Meaning they are definitely not on Jesus' side, but they're using his name and they're making a lot of money off those YouTube views. Whereof we have heard that it should come. And even now already is it in the world. Notice that it has been prophesied of. It should come. It's here already, but it's going to come. Okay? We have to be a learning church. What are we learning about? The Jesus Christ that came in the flesh. That's who we're learning about. Okay? We'll hit the other points next week. Lord be willing. Loving church, worshiping church, and evangelistic church. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to learn your word. God, please help us to have spiritual discernment based on the scriptures and not based on our feelings or on based what it some other person may say. Let us be a learning church a church that learns about the whole counsel of God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.